Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey. I'm the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And today we're coming back to you with another podcast episode on peacemaking. And this is something that uh, we started uh, two weeks ago and wanted to follow up with a second part uh, to make sure that we gave the full perspective of what we feel like the peacemaking process should look like. It's not always easy. It's pretty difficult. But again, the goal of our podcast is to help assist parents with everyday issues. Peacemaking is, is definitely one that we see time and time again, whether it's a small issue or a large issue. And out of our mission of nurturing, educating, and equipping, we feel like this is one of the biggest uh, pieces of information that we can share as we partner with you as, as Christian families for the benefit of these children. And so just as kind of a, a quick reflection of last time, Maria, would you just kind of revisit uh, really the five key things, the six key things that we talked about as far as how conflict kind of ebbs and flows? Yeah, sure. So we started last time talking about just kids' reaction in conflict, that one, it's often that they mimic what they see at home. And at times it's when they come into the car or when they're sharing at dinner, the conflict that they share may have started before the event that they're telling you about. Right. So there's there's multiple stories within the story, so to speak, of a yes. conflict. Um, it's, like I said, rarely it's the event where the conflict originates is what they're going to tell you know they're going to tell you they're going to they're they may not back up the story a little bit and that's where we have to kind of dig like an archaeologist and not like a backhoe right and so be um, inquisitive be curious and try to get more than just the one story that that they're telling you you know conflict is really hard we talked about how conflict can bring up lots of big intense emotions and it is okay to feel those and it is okay to process those. And just because we have big emotions about conflict doesn't mean that we're bad. It doesn't mean the other family is bad. It's just part of living yes. in a broken world. Right. That is part of what it looks like. We also have to acknowledge that a lot of the conflict that is gonna come our way, a lot of the parenting that we do and how we manage that conflict that comes our way is, is from our own story. Right. Which is both a good thing and it can be a challenging thing. So it's God has given us our story. Um, he loves He loves us through our story. There's a purpose in our story. But we also have to acknowledge when we may be projecting our story onto our kid or onto another family's experience. So we have to do the hard work of checking in with ourselves and regulating ourselves as we address conflict with our kids. So I was talking with Carolyn Stone yesterday and we were having a conversation and, and yesterday was, for me, was just a long day. And she, she kind of caught me at the end of the day and asked me how I was doing. She could tell I had a somewhat of a furrowed brow, maybe, maybe a, a little bit of exhaustion on my face. And so she said, she asked me, I told her some things were going on and she told me uh, a story of, of very, very hard conflict that was, was very personal, particularly within our own school, and this happened 15, 20 years ago, somewhere in there. And what she said was that Sue, the head of school at the time, would not allow her to give up. Mm. And that was not was what was best for the child. And it really struck me because as a parent, as somebody that 
that does not want to see conflict continue or fester. I'm not a very patient person, and so mm-hmm. when even in our own policy, when we say conflict takes patience, it's not something that I want. But to hear her wisdom and to see what God did out of that story mm-hmm. was very encouraging. And it's it's a strong reminder of Scripture that God is going to work all things for the good. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say that he's going to work with them for the good in our timing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, But he I is wish. going to work them for the good and the good of his kingdom. And it's really interesting. And so many times, God, being the redeemer that he is in, this, in the story of redemption, will take sinful situations mm-hmm. and make them redemptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ben Porter, the pastor, senior pastor of the Kirk of the Hills, had uh, the story of Rahab recently yeah. and really talked about how um, God used her sinful past and she became a part of the lineage of Christ. There's there's plenty of stories throughout Scripture that, that speak to that. But I think if we can take a step back and, and to quote Oswald Chambers, who says, often when we think God has missed the mark, we're too small to see the target. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can push ourselves, a, give ourselves a little bit of distance on this and be patient, we can allow God to do that work but it doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah, And it I, I want to be clear. I want to yes. be clear with that. So yes. you've given us a sum- summation of that. There's kind of my, my lecture to start. But uh, to get back into it, the four main players of conflict, and we touched on two of these, are the parents, teacher, child, and other family. The parents, the teacher, the child, and the other family. And so let's jump in, Maria, and, and kind of rehash uh, the parent role again. Yeah, parent role, probably the most difficult right? Because we as parents are definitely, part of our job is to protect our child. And so anytime conflict comes up, almost our immediate reaction is going to be, how do I protect my child in this? There is so much good to that reaction. It's a God, I mean, it's a God-given reaction, right? right? We we almost can't stop it. Um, It's almost automatic. And so it's important to remember the patience piece of that, which is what we've already talked about a little bit this time, that um, you know there are there are definitely points in our day where we feel more dysregulated and stressed, and that may not be the time to send an email um, or give a phone call. And so, a lot of times, that is um, carpool and the dinner table. You know, those those are some, some of the areas um, where our kids share the most, which is awesome, and we want to encourage that. And it's one of those times where just take a little bit of a pause. Yeah. Reflect on, on what he's saying. Ask more questions. Validate the feelings. And then take some time to process it on your own and respond with an email, with a phone call, whatever may be appropriate. Uh, just because it's a lot harder to be thoughtful in our response to something um, than it is to just react to it, right? It's real easy to send off that email that's reactionary, and man, does that escalate a situation. And so we have found over and over how helpful and important it is in conflict to just take a breath and think about it before you ask the teacher. Now, I, I want to make this very clear, I'm, and I've said this, said this the last time we talked about these things, I'm very, I can be very impatient without oh, question. Yes. Um, and even as a kid, I remember my mom would give me a hard time because I was so impatient about so many things. And looking at something like this, one of the things, at least in the, my professional role, not mm-hmm. parental role, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I do want to differentiate mm-hmm. between the two, 
my professional role, one of the things that I've tried to do in the midst of conflict and in a response is to not fire off a response, but to, to sleep on it. Yeah. I, I tell parents that not to say that I don't care, that I don't want to deal with that immediately. What I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm a little more clear-headed yeah. and that I might be able to have perspective or if something else has kind of come up in between the time that I've received this information and the time I need to respond, then I might have a better picture. And I can do that as a, as, as a professional and, and be able to, to distance myself. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to your kids, it's hard because it guess what? It's your responsibility. There yep. is no escaping it. Yep. Um, there's no escaping it when your child's crying in the moment. There's no escaping it in the pain that you might feel thereafter. Mm-hmm. There's no really escaping of your anger. And there's no escaping of your own past. Mm-hmm. As, as you said, we parent out of the story. And so I, I will say the more that we can, we can sleep on it, I, I do think really is a healthy manner. Because honestly, as the old saying goes, and I've mentioned this plenty of times before, and I did in the last podcast, nothing good happens after midnight. And that's definitely true in email as well. And so maybe a little earlier in email, like nine, ten o'clock. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I'm usually tired by after that point. after the kids go to bed. Yeah, yeah. but I, I will say um, that that is something that, that we that we see. We want to we want to honor honor that, and I also understand that parents want to email um, at night. Uh, but I would say the more patient we can be in a healthy way, um, the more that that allows times for emotions to deescalate and our rational brain to, to move into a better yeah. place to help fight for our children. And I think it's important to, when we talk about emotions, that we realize the outward emotion of anger, blaming, criticizing, anxiety, is really indicating that something much more is going on. And it's very easy to share that outside, that those feelings, that anger, that frustration, yeah. that anxiety. It's a lot more vulnerable to share the, the softer emotions, the hurt, the feeling of being alone, um, those type of, of emotions that are kind of under the surface more. But man, I'll tell you what, there's a big difference in sharing those under the surface emotions than there is in sharing that outward emotion because mm. anytime someone comes to you and says I'm so concerned that my child feels alone at this school that's way different that 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 hits at everybody's heart in a way different way than coming and saying I'm really you know frustrated and angry and start we start accusing and blaming and sometimes those softer more reachable emotions are more present with a little bit more time, yeah. if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And one of the things I would say too, especially to parents when you're going through something like this, and I love to tell my staff, we need to find ways to respond and not react. Yeah. A reaction is is often very visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's raw. It's protective. And, right, and it's yeah. and it's nature in a, yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, we do that. We we can't control it. Um, but a response can be methodical. It mm-hmm. can be productive, mm-hmm. and and it can also do even more than what a reaction mm-hmm. typically yep. can do, and put you in a much better better spot. And so know that as a school, our goal is to walk through and make sure that we are responding to mm-hmm. something well and not reacting to something that might give you the satisfaction in the moment, but not long term. And I think that's, I think that's very important. Yeah. So let's move on to the teacher yeah. for a minute. 
Um, so the parents, we, we know that issue, but then the teacher, the teacher is, is a very interesting thing. And I really wanna reiterate parents that it is it benefits no teacher at any time, no matter the student, no matter the circumstance, I've never seen a teacher desire to get a child in trouble. That's the first thing I'll say. Correct. Uh, we, we put our, our faculty through a pretty rigorous process. I've never seen that at Kirk Day School. I've never seen that uh, holistically in my educational career. We hear about those things, but they're typically they're one-offs. Um, but the teacher is aware of many different aspects in the classroom, such as classroom dynamics, other children's issues, they, other children, other students could have learning issues, they could have verbal processing um, pieces that they might be working on. Uh, there's plenty of items that I can never mention to mm -hmm. a parent due mm -hmm. to um, different law restrictions, but one of those might be medication, that a child is experimenting with a new medication and that that's causing them to react differently, or that there may be a family dynamic that's mm -hmm. also occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, being in a Christian school, being in West County, St. Louis, one of the things that often our families want to do and do a very nice job of come Christmas card season is projecting the great, beautiful American family with plenty of, of wonderful things that, that God has blessed them with. However, when they go through financial hardship, when they go through divorce, when they go through death, when they go through a myriad of things or even struggling marriages, kids can reflect that within the classroom and there's very few teachers that are aware of the, these things and we want to have justice, we want to have understanding, and we want to have the execution of justice as, as a victimized uh, role or a victim role. And so when we get into this, one of the things I would say is lean on the teacher mm -hmm. and trust the teacher. Trust the teacher. I will say I do not know if I've ever encountered a group of teachers that is more in tune with their kids than these teachers. It's unbelievable to me. And so we have to trust the teacher. We have to trust that they understand the dynamics in the classroom and that they are balancing, we do it as parents, they're balancing a lot of different kids with a lot of different personalities. Right. And it's really important to remember that, that your teacher of your student is gonna experience your student in a different way than you do, which is good. I mean, that's that's one of the major benefits of going to school is right. that teachers are able to see our children in a different light. Um, and again, knowing and believing that God is sovereign and that he has, he has placed these teachers in there um, for a reason. Teachers are definitely working for the whole family. So the teacher is working with the entire class for the benefit of the class and assuming the best in the teacher is so helpful in these situations assuming that she's on top of the conflict that comes up in the dynamics of the <clears throat> or he or he sorry yes or he got to represent mr Bogle, and mr sean <laughs> that's right, on this one, right? <laughs> got to represent those two um so yeah just making sure that we're believing the best about the teacher first and right. that they have our kids best heart um you know in in interest and let, um, and let me say a moment about uh, take a moment to say something about our faculty one of the things that, that i want to be i want to be clear is our faculty are, are often not here for a good pension plan they're not here <laughs> for um for some type of job i mean they they love the lord mm -hmm. and they love teaching and they love christian education yeah. they're in it for those three things yep. Um, and, and I want to be clear about that, and that's not some, some sacrificial, you know, angelic 
description mm-hmm. on purpose, it's because they wouldn't be here. They want to walk with these children and bring them closer mm-hmm. to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That is, that is yeah. the goal. And bringing them closer to Jesus means that we have to work through sin. Yes. And we do believe that every child is a sinner. We believe that there is infinite value and worth. We believe that they are an image bearer of God. We believe that they are completely fallen and unable to save themselves. And so in those three components, our teachers are going to work and teach, and our goal is to teach them about that God that does not give up on us. Yeah. And that we can be the hands and feet yes. of, of that, which is just, which is unbelievable. Um, it's, it's truly a privilege. So I think it's really important that we understand kind of those dynamics in the classroom, believing the best about the teacher. And then the last part, of course, is the child. Um, and this is probably where I, you know, I interact the most is with the kiddos, um, especially in conflict. And I think one of the things that we always reassure them of is that it is always better to be, to tell the whole truth rather than a half truth. Right. Because a half truth is a full lie. And again, when we think about, it's so uncomfortable, it's hard for the kid. Um, but when we think about the, who we want these kids to be as they grow up into adulthood and and the characters that we want them to have we want them to have honesty and integrity in all of in all things and that is a hard character trait especially in our world it is really hard to be honest and to have integrity and so that's why it's so important to us that we start to nurture and teach that here Um, and so being truthful at all times even if that means them getting in trouble that's a value of ours and we know that the only way this is really going to sink in is if that's reinforced at home. Yeah. And, and one of the things, too, that I think we've mentioned before and in other er- er- areas is that children love to lawyer themselves. They, they, want to, they want to investigate as well. They want to, mm-hmm. um, to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. They want to be a detective. Mm-hmm. They, they will find excitement in this even if the excitement is unhealthy and Mm -hmm. we do the same thing in our own lives oh yeah and so we're going to see this with our children but one of the things that we're going to teach our kids is is ownership Mm -hmm. and and something that that i reinforce with the faculty and and maria's heard this a hundred times plus is i fully believe my motto of work is effort and ownership let your yes be yes and your no be no is what scripture says and we have to also teach this to our children we want to see an effort towards reconciliation we want to see an effort towards owning what happened. And, you know, I had a kid in my office uh, just yesterday, and I had evidence and I had video proof that this kid did exactly what I called him into the office for. And so um, the child came in, they sat down, and I asked them if that happened. At first they, they were started to shake their head no, and I said, hold on, I really want you to tell the truth. And they did. Yeah. Didn't have to pull it up or anything. And... Yes, that's that's great. That's wonderful. But what I tried to do in the moment, what it allowed me to do is be able to affirm the child. Mm-hmm. Good decision. Mm-hmm. That is really great ownership. Was there still a consequence? Yes, there was still a consequence. Was there still hurt and, and reconciliation that needed to, to be resolved? Yes. But there's still one of those things that, that allowed the child to own what they did and grow from it instead of finding another place of woundedness yeah. and where the heart is going to yep. harden. And as, as Scripture says, we want to take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, and that's what God uh, says of His people. The other big thing here is in the ownership piece, 
Let's talk about the victim for a second. I promise you in every situation I've ever dealt with, it's always a two-way street, but one side's wider than the other. Mm-hmm. You can have a fight. You can have a bully. You can have all sorts of things. There's something else going on, and it may be 99% to 1, mm-hmm. and it may be 50-50, 60-40, whatever ratio you want to put out there. But what can you own? And Tim Keller has a phenomenal article on uh, just ownership and, and receiving criticism. And one of the things that he challenges people to do is find the kernel of truth. He said even the most unfair broadsides and, and wrong circumspect can still bring you to truth. And it can be, and what they say can be wrong for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. but still have something true to bring out of you. And that's a tough thing. And, and I will say I'm learning that. I'm learning that on a daily basis. God is challenging me with that. But what can we figure out? Um, within our children and how can we coach our children to move towards humility and I would say if there's one verse to bring scripture back in that we need to rest upon it's Micah 6 8 you know Mm -hmm. what does the Lord require of you but to do justly to love mercy and walk humbly with thy God and in the midst of all this conflict if we are we're, we're going to try and bring justice to a situation. We have a just yeah. God, yeah. and we want to bring justice. If consequence needs to be dealt with, we're going to deal with it. But we also want there to be mercy and reconciliation, and we want there to be humility of what our children can own. And by those three pillars, we are doing exactly what God calls of us, and we're doing exactly what our mission says of nurture, educating, and equipping these children to see the world through a Christian worldview. And what better way to show them Christ's love than in their moment of, of sin, say, we love you, we accept you. Right. I mean, that's what Christ did for us. That when we were dead, when we were far off from him, he still loved and accepted and brought us to himself. And so that is an unbelievable opportunity to say, even when you mess up, I still love you. We're still here for you. So this is in Ezra chapter 9, and this says, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors to this day, we have been deep in guilt, and for our iniquities, we, our kings, and our priests have been handed over. And so it, it goes on. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God who has left us a remnant and given us a stake in his holy place. That is a powerful, mm-hmm. and that's, that's Ezra chapter 9, verse, verses 5 through 9. That is a powerful thing. God is not a God who wants us to stay in our shame mm-hmm. and in our mm-hmm. brokenness. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that for our students. No. This is tough to communicate to a 5-year-old. It is. because Or a 9-year-old yes, or a 12-year-old. Because developmentally at this point, they are so black and white. It is very hard for them to differentiate, I did something bad versus I am bad. Right. That doesn't mean that we don't ask them to be truthful and honest. And it it also means that we make sure to remind them they are loved, they are known, they are accepted, even when they mess up. Because again, when they're an employer or an employee of someone, we don't want them covering their mistakes up. We want them to be able to be honest right. about those mistakes. Um, and yeah, it's so this is this is that time to shape that, to know that they can come to you and that they can share 
hey, this is what happened, this is what I did, and, and be met with love and acceptance. So let's finish this out uh, essentially by walking through a conflict. Maria. Yeah. What does it look like? You have two kids that, that are in conflict, um, and we can go down a myriad of examples because we have probably an encyclopedia of mm -hmm. them just within our own uh, professional experience, but a kid comes to you and says, this happened, X, Y, or Z happened, mm -hmm. and what is your goal in the moment when a child brings something to you, or a teacher, a parent, mm -hmm. or whomever, mm -hmm. lays something mm -hmm. in your lap, what is the process that we as a school go through in sure. order to find resolution and either consequences or you know some type of even um, just reconciliation? Yeah, I would say the first thing is to acknowledge the feelings and the situation and the difficulty that the child that's coming to you or uh, coming to me. So that's my first step. Kid comes and says, "Hey, this person did this to me on the playground." listen man that sounds like a really difficult situation tell me what was going on tell me what happened tell me how you felt in that moment um, and then from there depending on the situation I may ask other kids we may call that specific kid into the room and say hey let's deal with this tell me from your side what's going on tell me from your side what's going on we talk back and forth and I help them interpret okay this is how this person saw this this is how this person saw this and we work together to own what they need to own um, and then problem solve. Okay, how can we do this differently in the future? So what about like substantiated evidence, right? What, what goes on there that we need to, to work on? Because sometimes we're gonna have two kids that come and say, this happened and mm -hmm. the other, the accused says, no it didn't. Yep, so when that happens, the kids come to me with two different stories, I just name it say hey we've got two different stories here how are we going to reconcile these things and that usually brings out a little bit more to the story than what happened and the important thing that I always remember when I'm talking to kids about this is that that these are sensitive topics these are sensitive situations yes. for these kids they're going to do everything they can just like we as adults do to protect themselves right and so the more that I can help them feel known and loved and accepted in, them, in that moment by validating their emotion, by helping, by, by literally repeating back to them what they said so that they know that I hear them and I understand them, the better things are going to go. Okay. That's really my goal, the first part in, in having conflict. And then, of course, you know, when we move on to mediation, it's we go through the A's of the peacemaker but it's really important for me in those moments that kids aren't just repeating that just because that's what they've done since right they've been here but that they actually stop to consider my actions had this impact on this person well and I would say one thing that we do not all out is for one kid to say hey you need to apologize and the kid says well sorry the other kid says it's okay and then they move on I've mm -hmm. never seen that occur. And now, granted, I am guilty as an educator uh, holistically of allowing that to occur over the years. Okay, an apology was made, great. But when we say an apology was made at Kirk Day School, and this is something that I love that we have, the apology is very different. Yeah. You know, the um, woman that discipled me in college always reminded me how hard it is to actually ask this question. Um, 
but to, to ask, will you forgive me? And in that moment, man, does that feel so vulnerable. But it's so important to do that. One, to recognize your own need for forgiveness, but two, then in that moment, if it's appropriate, to grant that forgiveness, to say, yes, I forgive you. We right. are moving on right. from this. We're not forgetting it. It's, it's not that it never happened, <clears throat> but we are making a decision to move on from this conflict. And if we were to reflect Christ in a forgiveness moment, one of the things that, that we do in worship, at least uh, at Kirk of the Hills, and it's, it's more of a liturgical way that, that churches and, and the church universal has done over the years, is there is a statement of faith, mm-hmm. a confession of faith, mm-hmm. a confession of sin, yeah. and then an assurance of pardon. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that I want to I point out is you're, you're confessing your beliefs, you're confessing your sin, but that assurance of pardon, which is often found in Scripture, um, always found in Scripture actually, is not a pardon it is an assurance yeah and one of the things that, that we can never really fully do as humans as finite beings is assure our own pardon to one another yep. but god is calling us to do that and and going back to what we talked about last time it's yeah. not just forgiving once or seven times but as, yeah. as scripture says 70 times sevens being the proverbial uh, way to do it I think it's interesting, and, I, and parents, I want you to know, our, again, the goal is to reconcile yes. and restore yes. relationships, and by doing that, we want to move. And I will say this, there, it's okay to feel like we're wrong, by the way, mm-hmm. but, I and, and often, let me, let me restate this, often I don't want to do even what I'm t- saying to do right yes. now. In uh, yes. In my marriage, in yes. my relationships, in yes. my relationship with coworkers, it is, it is very, very difficult. Yep. However, everything that we're basing this on, I would say is, is one, um, is, is very, very uh, empirical evidence, yeah. and two, scripture. Yeah. And, it's, and that's the part that, that humbles me of knowing that, you know what, as, as a believer, as someone in, in, the, in the kingdom of Christ, in the church universal, we all have to move in this direction. It does not make it fun, it does not make it easy, mm-hmm. but it makes it healthy. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say that our culture, this is not how our culture teaches us to do conflict. No. I mean, go to Facebook if you want to know, or Instagram, to know how our culture teaches us to do conflict. It's quick, it's fast, and it has no ram- lasting ramifications, right? That's how culture teaches us to do conflict. Um, we have to remember that that is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible teaches the way that the Bible teaches conflict is so much more in depth and in, in um, difficult, but it's also that way because that's how God created us. Right. He created us. I mean, in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. And, and conflict gets in the way of that, right? Conflict isolates us. It, it puts us at odds. Um, and our culture continues to perpetuate that. And we have to fight that air that we breathe. And the air that we breathe is that, is that conflict is quick and easy and um, can, can be done without ever having a face-to-face conversation. And that's just not, one, healthy from a psychological perspective, but also from a biblical perspective. That's not what we're called to. Right. And the other thing, and I think this is, this is kind of the last thing I'd love for you to talk about, is the triangulation and a... a conflict place and I'm guilty of this and I think 
I think because we don't want to be alone and because we get scared and confused, we want validation. Mm -hmm. And so by triangulation, it means we're bringing in a third party mm -hmm. in an unhealthy way, mm -hmm. not a healthy way often. Yes. Um, and so we can go to them under the guise, and we mentioned this again a little bit in the last podcast, go under the unhealthy guise to someone else and say, hey, I need to share my problem with you and get feedback. Mm -hmm. And while sometimes that, it, that can be a very earnest place to be, there's still an aspect where it, it can, can, I would say, um, merge and morph into gossip and into lawyering for ourselves mm -hmm. or our child in that moment. So how would you coach us onto either avoiding the triangulation mm -hmm. or when we really do need somebody, avoiding it turning into gossip but bringing in that third party as Matthew 18 says? Yeah, so obviously my background is um, in counseling and so I'm often the mediator right? Um, sometimes in marriage counseling, sometimes in other, other types of counseling. And the beautiful thing about counseling is, and this is, this is why it works, is because the person that you ask to mediate is not living with you in your daily life. They're not in the midst of the conflict with you. Um, in the sense that, that they're, you see them every day, you work with them, there is a boundary there that our relationship happens in this room. And the good part of that is that it keeps some of the triangulation out. It sets up some natural boundaries for that. Um, so if you're going to someone who is in your everyday life to work with, to, to talk about a conflict with someone else who's in your everyday life, there's a good chance that there's some triangulation going on there, right? So not always, but if both, if the party knows both of the people in the conflict, it's gonna be really difficult for that person to be a mediator and be objective. It's just, it just is, that's, that's, that's how life works sometimes. And so, so that's really what, what makes counseling so helpful is that you have someone who can be more objective, who isn't in the, the mud and the grit. And so, if you're in a situation like that, I would definitely encourage you to think through, okay, how is, how is the person, the third person in this conflict, I mean, they're gonna be impacted by what we're saying, and is that healthy, and is that safe? And what am I getting, what am I experiencing as I'm talking to that third person? Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important question to ask. And so, the ben I mean, Matthew does talk about how we need to bring a third person in. And my, my recommendation there would be bring someone in um, who, who cares about the relationship but isn't in the mud and the grit every day. So not uh, your spouse. So not your spouse. <laughs> uh, not your spouse's best friend. Um, that's, not, that's not healthy. That's not fair. Um, you know, and that's why we have outlined in our handbook, we go to the teacher first, and then um, from there we go to the next person in line, which depending on the situation might be administration. Um, but if a parent comes in and starts talking poorly of a teacher or another family to a member of the school, that puts us in a triangulation because we also have a responsibility to care for that other family. Yeah. And that's that gets very difficult and nobody it gets gets very very difficult to be objective in that situation so um yeah seeking outside help for that can be important um whether that be a counselor someone at your church whatever that may be the school might play that role of mediator between two families because um 
you know, that's a situation where each family has their own stuff going on right. and we're able to see the child and both children in kind of a neutral ground. And we've, we've done that plenty of times. Mm -hmm. And it's been really, really, really helpful. It's been really helpful. Yeah. But is it awkward? Oh, it's so awkward and it's so hard. And the worst part is ha like getting up and walking out of the room, you know, because we've right. just shared and we've just been vulnerable. And that's a time when we feel that way we want to cover up. Yeah. Um, and, and again, in conflict, that is what drives more conflict. The more that we cover it up, the bigger the conflict gets. Well, Maria, this is great. And parents, if you want to talk more about this, please please, please uh, let us know. Um, we're happy to do that uh, more and more. The, our next podcast is going to focus on October and what October brings. Uh, we other than Cardinals baseball. Other than Cardinals baseball. Praise the Lord. Yes. Uh, we will take it. Um, but we will talk about what we call the October blues and, and really looking at what happens this time of year for our kids with a um, physical and social development mm -hmm. and, and that, that effect that it has on them. So we'll spend some time unpacking that. And so this is kind of our theme right now is, is, is stepping into conflict. How do we look towards towards the year? Um, and we'll have plenty, plenty more coming, coming at you. But uh, thanks for listening. And as always, uh, give us your feedback. We're, we're happy, to, happy to work with you guys. And thanks for listening.